Hi, John Porteous here from the Lovells Township Historical Society, and welcome back to episode three of the Backcast podcast. In this episode, Glenn and I sit down with Lacey Stefan, a lifelong Grayling resident, uh, high school science and chemistry and math teacher, and longtime river guide. Lacey has a great deal to share with us, both from an entertaining and an educational perspective. So we hope you enjoy this. Sit back, relax, enjoy, and stay safe. Be doing it, but is that right? <laughs> uh, I enjoyed the kits. I really did. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, well let's go uh, again. The, the exhibit is uh, river guides and their stories. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't go back before you were a guide or before you even started fly mm-hmm. fishing. But we would like to get a little history on your particular background. Okay. When you started fly fishing, when you started guiding. Well, I um, knew nothing else but fly fishing because of my too. dad and mm-hmm. Edgewater because that's, you know, they worked out of that most of the time. But uh, my first experience with guiding was not a good experience. Oh, really? This sounds like a story, Lacey. Well, <laughs> he, my dad wanted me to get into it when we moved down to Twin Pine. And I was about 14 years old, and so he said, let's, uh, I have a party that needs another guide, I want you to do it. So I said, well, other than running my dad down river when he wasn't guiding, I didn't have any experience at that. So I said, well, all right, I'll try it. It was a horrible day, wet, rainy day, early in the season, and when we got finished, uh, nobody had caught any fish, and my dad s- said, well, it's time to settle up, and they said, okay, we'll pay you for yourself, but we won't pay you for your son. So that was my first experience, was the uh, people being kind of... <clears throat> the rationale that they were shut out? Yeah, well, they just felt that being that I was a kid that they 14. didn't uh, th- need to oh, okay. pay. But in the old days, 14-year-olds were an old-time guide back in the 1800s, they were early 20s and stuff like that, because that's all they did mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. around here, they uh, did that. So that was my first experience, and I said, I'll never do it again. So, for about 30 years, I didn't do it. I didn't oh, want anything really? to do with it. Uh, they were, as far as I was concerned, elite snobs that couldn't care less about anybody else but themselves, and that gave me a bad attitude towards it. Hmm. Then Norval, who was caretaker at uh, <clears throat> Club Thunderbird, which is my dad's brother, who was well, three your years old. dad was lazy. Right. Norval was okay. three years older than him. But if you took pictures of them side by side, they, you would have thought they were identical twins. But anyway, he says, I'd like you to take this other half of the party. And I says, Uncle Navi, I just don't want to do that. that and I explain, and he says, it's not like that anymore. Hmm. So I said, all right, I'll try it. And it was a very good experience. We had a so good by time. On, by now you're 44 years old? 40, somewhere in there, 40. yeah. And uh, so I started, and that was how I got back into doing it. And uh, I took trips because of him, and I got some because of uh, the people here at Gates's and Edgewater and Club Thunderbird and Twin Pine and and just... The name. Uh, My dad guided a person by the name of Wally Perkins, and my dad was his exclusive guide, and he owned a hardware store, 
gun shop down in Detroit, inner city, what would be considered inner city Detroit. So Mike Whelan, who had built a, quite a reputation, was taking me on, and Paul Wane was taking me on as, as a guide for the groups that would come up. So Wally, who was diagnosed with bone cancer, decided he wanted to go again because when my dad died, he stopped because that was mm. his guide. He wasn't going to have anybody else. He was diagnosed with bone cancer, so he called the Department of Natural Resources and asked about guides up here, and they told him about Mike Whelan and gave him his number. So he called uh, Mike Whelan and was explaining what was happening, and Mike says, well... His son, Lacey, is now into guiding, so Wally says, give me his number. and So he called me up, and uh, we went over the history and stuff, and he says, I want to uh, come up and do some more uh, fishing and stuff. And I said, okay, that's, that'll be good. Be glad to take you, and the fact that since you were my dad's, clientele and exclusive there and I said we'll give it a try and so we for three years I was able to take Wally and Muriel downriver as he was dying of bone cancer and I did not know that until we were on the river and Muriel says well you know he's got bone cancer and he's dying I said well he liked to trout fish and he liked to hunt and when my dad was his uh, guide uh, he would make sh because my dad would also guide him during rough grouse season and deer season and stuff. He would get ammunition for my dad by the case and mm. give it to him at cost. And like I mentioned that the, he had that gun shop in the basement and natural gas was hooked up to that. And of course you had steel doors and stuff like that. The Detroit Edison severed the gas line outside his store and over the weekend it filled up with gas and uh, when they went in there a customer wanted to go to the gun shop and they opened the door and it sparked and the store went up and the store came back down and killed the employee and the customer so that was what he was sharing with me so from that history that's that but uh, I would Stranahan's at Pawnee. I would guide them. Uh, now Pawnee, Stranahan's own, they also owned uh, Wawasan. Wawasan. Mm -hmm. And they owned also Pawnee. Mm -hmm. Didn't Rube Babbitt own that one time? No. His cabin is there. Oh. That cabin that's on the hillside you can see up there. Yeah. That is Rube Babbitt. That's Rube Babbitt's cabin. Okay. And he, we referred to him as Uncle Rube. And he was responsible, according to the information my dad and them would pass on was responsible for getting the brook trout in the Asalba River system. That's what we understand, 1885. And supposedly. yeah, and he uh, got that in here as the grayling trout started to go on down, which is ironic because the when we had <laughs> several years ago, they had some grayling replanted in the Asalba River system. Uh, the biologists. I took him downriver and was talking with him, sitting on the bridge at Trutner's. And I said, I was also president of the Property Owners Association at the time. And I said, why aren't you putting some of those in the fish hatchery so people can actually see what grayling right. look like? Well, we never gave it a thought. 
So that's how the grayling got in the hatchery for them to see that season. And I said, why don't you plant them upstream above town where the fishing isn't so hard and they got the cooler water and they might survive up there better. And he said, well, we'd have to poison that section of the river, take all the shiners and the brook trout and stuff out. And I said, why? He said, well, they're not compatible. And I says, you don't even know your history. So they're going to put them in where there's trout anyway, right? Well, no, they weren't going. Yeah, so they did it down here. here. But he said, well, they're not compatible. And I says, you don't even know your DNR biologists, and you don't know what's going on. The Jordan River had native brook trout and grayling that cohabitated perfectly in there. So now there's a deal doing with one of the native uh, tribes mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. going to try and put some back in. So that'll work fine. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I hope it works. They, they've learned a lot since then, but boy, every time I think <clears throat> we planted over 4 million grayling mm-hmm. in the Osable system and other rivers around right. Michigan. And I think there's only been one year where they've been found the second year. Well, they've just been eaten. Uh, well, yeah, when they <clears throat> caught some of the big browns down below Mayo, they three or four brook or uh, grayling inside them. Yeah, but yeah. they planted them in Neff Lake up here. Mm-hmm. And they survived very well in there. And in fact, if you were caught actually catching one, they were going to write you a ticket. A few years, well, it's got to be 10, 12 years from the back, they decided in their infinite wisdom to poison that lake and make it a rainbow lake. They didn't remember that there was grayling in there, so they poisoned it, and up pops all these dead grayling. And there were still grayling in there? There were still grayling in there at that time. And Shupak Lake, you may remember this one, when they decided they were going to make that a rainbow lake. They did that twice. And they poisoned that. You remember what popped up? Lake trout and smelt. There were some lake trout, oh yeah. And smelt. Yeah. They didn't even know they were in there, so <clears throat> yeah. I'm not over fond of some of the DNR people no, because of that. But he, okay, the but that's thing. not what you want to hear. Um, well, it, I'll give you four stories, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Gates here wanted me to take this guy downriver. He was quite elderly, couldn't see, hard to walk. Nobody else would take him downriver. So I said, oh, sure, I'll take him down the river. And he had to basically crawl to get into the boat. We got into the North Branch at uh, what I refer to as where the Vance family used to live. It's the campground there and access between Dam 4 and, and Kellogg's Bridge. So I got him in there and had to look like a yard uh, rope that he was using but we got the flies tied on and <laughs> he was having a good time of fishing and and at that time the trout unlimited was giving out certificates that if you caught legal size fish and returned them you would get a certificate for that and in the course of going down the north branch he caught a legal brown a legal brook trout and what amazed me was a legal size rainbow because I had never known rainbows to be in the North Branch, but he caught one of each. What year was that? Oh, I can't tell you the years, but it's been... That's pretty cool, though, above Kellogg's. Yeah, 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 it had to have been in the late 70s, early 80s, somewhere in there. 
So we were going downstream, and this is going to tie in another trip. We were going downstream, and I got at Kellogg's Bridge, and that something in the, my inner ear said, call home. Oops. So I said, okay. I walked up to the store, told them that I needed to call home. So I called home, and I asked, Carol answered the phone, and I said, okay, how's things going? Did you get the vehicle planted? She says, yeah, I got it at McMaster Bridge. And McMaster Bridge is a whole way back upstream. And I said, you were supposed to put it at Morley's Landing. So that was that experience. But I was able to get it. She got it down there. We got out, brought him back. And I told Rusty and them what had happened. And they filled out his certificate. And the guy was just as happy as could be. The guy could hardly fish and he didn't yeah. all And he caught one legal... Well, he caught more than that, but he caught a legal one of each size that if he wanted to keep it, he could. And he turned them all back in, and he got his certificate. So Now, did uh, you tie flies? No. You didn't tie flies? I didn't okay. have the patience to do that. Okay. My brother-in-law, Ralph Hanna, who you had over, yes. who, who died this year, yes, last year, um, did all the, I got all my flies oh, through him. Flies. And yeah. his sister, was a, uh, his wife was a Stefan. Yes, that was my sister, Cynthia. That's Cynthia's your sister. Okay. Yeah, and okay. they both died last year. Yeah, he was both a Both had guy. Alzheimer's and he stuff. He was a good guy. Yep. He gave us his uh, uh, show box for, mm -hmm. that he would take to shops and show mm -hmm. me samples, which ones do you want? Right. He gave us a beautiful box with all oh. his flies in it. I said, hold it, Ralph. Before you give it to us, what about your kids? Would mm -hmm. they want it? And they, they talked to the family, and they said, no, no, they're no. good. Go no. ahead. So we've got it in our museum now. Oh, good. When, uh, he was a gentleman. When they put him, put them both in a home, they gave my son, Lacey, who was mm -hmm. the township supervisor, a box of all the flies that he had pre-tied to be able to sell. And yeah. he had tied them together on little strings and six in a group and stuff, <clears> and they were all in there from brown drakes. Uh, Lacey has those? Well, he, they asked him to see if they could uh, sell them at different places, so he tried at the Sable Shop in town and Gates here and yeah, stuff, so yeah. they could make some money to help cover the expenses. I had uh, visited uh, Jerry McLean mm -hmm. and uh, talked to him, and again, this was back in 2008, mm -hmm. I think, when we did guides and riverboats. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And uh, I told him I was going to go see Ralph Hanny. He said, I need a uh, badger neck. Mm -hmm. If he's got one, you get it, and, and I'll buy it from him. Hmm. So I told Ralph, I said, you know, Jerry McLean says he needs a badger neck. So he got he got up five or six. He said, this is a good one. Take this to him. I said, okay, let me pay. He said, oh, you're not going to pay me. I said, I'm going to pay you for it. Mm -hmm. I paid it for him. I gave it to Jerry. Mm -hmm. He was delighted. He was, oh, oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but this was one experience where the boat haul-out was not where it was supposed to be. Yeah. And Mike Whelan and I was guiding a two couples that were celebrating their wedding anniversaries. We started at what is now called Connors Flats, which is incorrect. That was mm. Camp Chicago. Ah. Connors Flats is down mm. around the bend a little bit where it comes down and there's a stream channel that comes in and it's below that. That's the true Connors Flats. There's a Connors family yeah. that lived is, there. Is that the big deer nesting area? Yeah. And the 
what is Camp Chicago, actually had a lodge there, and I gave young Lacey the picture of that place at the end of the Stillwater. You could see that. But I think there's, oh, I've seen that Camp Chicago. It's a, it's a low log building. No, it was high on the bank. I mean, was, the building itself. Yeah, it was high on the bank. Yeah, okay. But, but uh, anyway, Mike Whelan and I was guiding this couple, and we got in at uh, Camp Chicago, and we were going to get out at Parmalee, which was a long trip, and mm. we were going to have a cookout along the river to help celebrate their anniversary. So we got going, and we had the nice trip, and we had a good time, and they caught some fish, and they were enjoying their anniversary, and we got down to Parmalee, no vehicles. Mm. Mike, or Beth and Carol were supposed to plant them for us down there so that we get a get out. And... He walks up to the store, there's the telephone booth there, because back then you didn't have the cell phones and stuff, calls Beth, wakes her up because it's late at night, and she says, well, the vehicles are at McMaster Bridge. So. have a trend there. Yeah. <laughs> and this, the, so she got Carol up, and Carol and her brought the vehicles down there. So that was, like I said, tying this in. But twice this has happened where... They didn't have the vehicles where they were supposed to be at the time. They liked McMaster's for some reason. Yeah. Um, I think the one trip that means the most to me of all the trips downriver cause was a couple that went to uh, Skip's Fly Shop okay. in Grayling. Sure. And again... Skip says, well, I'm already busy, so I can't. Would you consider taking them down river? And I said, sure. And he says, they're an older couple from Massachusetts. And I said, that's fine, not a problem. And we got in, and we started at Stefan's Landing, and we're going to get out at uh, Wakeley's. Come to find out, she had had uh, two sessions of breast cancer and had both breasts removed. Mm. And I did not know that until after the trip was over. He said, I would like her to uh, start out fishing. And I said, that's fine. You know, didn't, I had no idea. And she fished the whole trip. Mm. She'd never relinquished the first chair. He sat in the second chair. Did he fish also? Or? But he didn't fish much. Okay. He fished from the middle. And he was an engineer and made his own reels. Mm, and they were cool. fantastic reels. From, from Massachusetts. Yeah. But again, it was because of her physical condition that was so special that she enjoyed herself so much that she wanted and stayed in that chair. And he said, my wife, that's when he told me afterwards, had had this surgery and stuff, and he was so excited that she enjoyed herself so much that... She wouldn't give it up, and he says, that's the best day I've had in I can't tell you how many years. Oh, that's super. That's great. The other part to that story was that one of, and I can't tell you the magazine anymore, one was kind of a little uh, newspaper magazine, and they were doing pictures along the river, and he was at what they call Ghoul's Hole. Which, I don't know where that is. Okay, where, where Club Thunderbird is, mm -hmm. just downstream is a high bank where they had picnic tables and there was a spring that came out, and that's oh. called Ghoul's Hole. 
the, one of their photographers was there and he was he took a picture of us unbeknown to us going oh, downstream cool. of that couple and that's what made it you know the fact that she enjoyed herself so much Could that have been chef's paper it could have been Okay. But uh, it just it's, it, it's, seemed, you know, seemed like it would be appropriate there. Yeah, and um, made the, the article about that and just thoroughly. And to me, that made it the best, uh, the trip. Uh, so special of, for her. Of, of, well, yeah, it was extremely special for her and him. And, and, mm. and, uh, and it so was the only time they came to the Osama. It's the only time. My understanding is that she got ill again afterwards. I don't know whether it was the yeah. same and they were going to do whatever traveling in different places they they could go. I mm -hmm. think that's great. Mm -hmm. That's a good story. Another one is a couple from Louisville. He's a retired professor at the University of Louisville and his wife was a retired teacher. Um, they used to stay at Bud's cabins and, mm -hmm. and, and that. And uh, they called and uh, got the information and asked, and I said, sure. And we did five or six years of, of trips and stuff, and they took them down the different rivers and things like that. And they were enjoying themselves, and I w when I guide, I would always talk about the history along the river and, and, and things like that. And we were down around Max Island, mm -hmm. which originally was not an island. I don't know if you know the history mm -hmm. about that. No. Um, just that was the old Red Dog Club. <clears throat> okay. Right at Max. I know the name. You know, well, when you go down Cal, uh, Lincoln Lodge, right? McMaster Bridge Road, mm -hmm. just where it's real flat before you go down the hill, there will be a sign there that says okay. Red Dog yes. Club. They yes. owned where the North Branch and the Mainstream came together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, most of the time, if they took the boats out, they took them out on the North Branch side, which meant that if you wanted to get that, you would have to go down below Max Island where that real bad stretch of fast water is, then back up the North Branch to where there was a barn and a low area, and then they would take the boats out there. So the guides, back in the old days, when you went down to Red Dog, you were there for a week or more. You didn't go back and forth like we can now. You mm -hmm. were there. Mm -hmm. They decided they needed to do something to make that a little easier, so they hand dug that channel. That's between the North Branch oh. and the Mainstream. And that's how that channel got there. Oh, that's they did that so they could cut through there and miss all that real right. fast water and stuff. And if you wanted to go back from the North branch around well you'd make that cut there so that's how that became an island because it wasn't so get before get there from the main street yeah yeah interesting but I, like I never knew that <laughs> we were uh, going downstream and I would you know we'd see otters or we'd see mink or you'd see deer or rough grouse and they, they said as we were coming close to Max Island to go and we were going down to Parmalee they said, well, what are you going to do for us today? And I said, well, I don't know. What would you like? And as soon as I said who, that. Who was this? Was this another group? Or no, this was the one that this, we're still dealing with. This couple from Louisville. Louisville, okay. yeah. And just as I said that, around the bend comes this bald eagle. 
banks sideways in front of him, turns around, goes back downstream, and I says, what else would you like? And he says, that's, a, that's good enough. <laughs> so, but, you know, those are, yeah, so that, that's, that's that, of that. So, but again, I would like to, I did the history and of the, to me, it's important for him to understand the history. Sure. When they're going down there and that. Now, so. um, Ralph, it was a Ralph Redhead, not a Redhead's Mill. Uh, yep, that's mill down there. Just down there. Yeah. Just past. And there's still the, some of the slabs in the river there. Yeah, and I know the fellow Shaner that uh, owns he's, that property. Yeah, he's got that cabin with a screen yeah, house and stuff. Nice, and the, nice cabin. And the lo slabs are right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Redhead's Mill. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And... Well, uh, that would always that was always a good stretch if you were careful. You could find a nice big trout and stuff. Mm -hmm. and long in there. Yeah. Uh, one of the other uh, trips, Mike Whelan couldn't take him, and he asked me to take him. It was a father's son, and we got down there, and it was with the big bug hatch, and he had his son doing the fishing in the front of the boat, and just off that log or pile of slabs was this little dimple in the water, and mm -hmm. I says fish right there he caught himself a real nice trout big, right off that slab brown. yeah <clears throat> one of the things i'm probably most proud of but it's just an ego thing is that i've been able to give people or put them in a position where they've caught the largest trout they've ever caught mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, the other thing i was very proud of was that and this came from the experience with norval i learned what fish were where in the river and I could basically tell them what they were going to catch there and 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 so that's part of that so well so. in the history then <clears throat> you you have a large family presence here mm -hmm. and am I correct you originally from France originally from Germany Germany okay and they migrated to France and then from France they migrated here and they came here in 1879 actually I think the story is they went to Texas first well not the, this the, not this branch oh no they the came first here to yeah they came here first the family went to Texas and then was told people are more friendly in Michigan and went to Michigan but uh, they came here and That's what Jay told me a people well that came from Henry's story yeah the Henry Stephan. Henry Stefan which mm -hmm. is the first other place. side of the river yeah, okay <laughs> there's a nice story on that situation too there was a family here by the name of Horton before we got here that lived up on the hillside there and when our family moved in here they didn't have any place to cook and stuff so the Hortons would rent out their kitchen facilities for the family to cook, have meals. Mm -hmm. Up on the hill, just uh, a little this, way. This side? Yeah. Just up from uh, Edgewater? Yeah, right in the hillside up here on, okay. the, yep. on the west side. One of the great-grandchildren now lives up on the hillside up there of Hortons. Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, Hortons. Hortons. Yeah. Grandchildren. And the reason I found out about that is they were renting the place across from us on North Down River Road. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about them. So, yeah, that was my grandparents. So. I'll be doing But they're... Now, who was in the stone? It's like a cement block house just east of you. Just okay, that was Skingsley. Oh, that wasn't a Stefan? No. Well, it's a derivative. 
Okay. It's a derivative of that. Okay, they were in the family. Yes. Anyway. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I thought that was an original Stefan poem. Nope. Uh, okay. It was a Skingsley. Um, they had a they barn there. Stranahan's too? Yes, they were the caretakers at Wawasam. Ah, okay. For years, and then their child took over, and then their grandson is now there. That's uh, gardeners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Tom and Kevin. Kevin. Kevin Gardner. Yeah, <clears throat> they're mm -hmm. taking care of that. But uh, they uh, had a big barn there that was bigger than this, and that was the community center for the hmm. neighborhood. Hmm. It had beautiful hardwood floors nice. and mm. a big, you know, it's a great big barn with stairs on both sides and an opening through there because it was, you know, they tried to raise cattle and farm out in there, which the soil is really bad for sure. farming. But they had this, and every month we would have dances and things like mm -hmm. that there for the community. My cousin rented that from them when George and them w retired from Wawasam and built Waverly up here. And our cousin rented that from him, and he was doing upholstery work downstairs in the barn and built a fire to heat it up and forgot and burned it down. Oh, geez. So that took care of that Oops. neighborhood place there. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> yeah, and I still can see... The fire burning, and my dad was there. We were at Twin Pine and went up there, and George came up, and he said, if somebody will give me $7,500 for it, I'll take it right now. He was so despondent about mm. the loss of that. Oh, I mean, the whole property and everything. That barn, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, now, Twin Pines. Um, yeah. I remember the story about you being sent down to get some mint or something. And right. Are you going to share that one with us? Well, if you a, want. And your dad was caretaker? Yep, the, we moved down there in, in April of 54. Okay. Before that, Decro was the caretaker down there. So we moved down there in 54, and uh, that was Norville and them were at Club Thunderbird, and the other relatives were up at Wawasam and that. So we kind of had a market on that. Mm -hmm. I don't know what history you know about Edgewater, but we can get into that a little bit. So I'd love to hear that. So, yeah. But um, my mother liked to put mint on the table because it uh, gave a nice aroma around mm -hmm. in the dining room and stuff. So she sent me down to the river because mm -hmm. the whole bank down where the uh, dock and uh, screen house and that was was just covered with mint. So she said, go down, pick up some mint, and bring it back up. Well, being a young, foolish child, the quickest way is a straight line there, and I hated going up and down them steps, so I jumped off the walkway on top of a rattlesnake. I didn't see it there, and it hit me twice. Oh, my gosh. And so the lady that was there that time when I was there was a guest at Twin Pine at the time, and she says, I can still hear you screaming, because it felt like a bee bite, and then I looked down and seen what it was. and mm. So it was a, a unique experience. No doubt. It, it's not, the rattlesnake, unless you are have like this corona thing, you've got some underlying illnesses mm -hmm. or something, it's not going to do you a lot of harm, but 
My uh, dad knew what it was. Lanced uh, two spots. Did, did sucked the, the Yeah, <laughs> stuck the poison out, and he had some minor sores in his mouth from his teeth and that, and uh, his gums and lips turned blue and black from the venom that he sucked out, and my foot from about my ankle to mid-calf turned about that color right there, real dark from the mm. from the venom, but I got sicker from the serum than I got from the venom. I was in the hospital for two and a half days, and mm. I have a very healthy respect for the Michigan rattlesnake. Um, we used to catch the bus, I had to go cross country and through the woods and I was picking Arbutus for my mother and I could hear this rattle and I looked and there was another rattlesnake about that far from my hand Ooh. when I was picking Arbutus and I says, oh, hi there, and backed off and let him have his Arbutus yeah. spot and stuff. But uh, first. Arbutus, you read the old stories and letters and there was lots of Arbutus, turning mm -hmm. Arbutus all around the streams. Mm -hmm. What's happened to that? Was it just all picked off or what do you think happened? Well, yeah, too many people. Okay. Um, there are still a lot of Arbutus if you look for them. We got a lot really? of them on our property. Is there? And okay. the flower itself was edible. And yeah. it was a wonderful scent. Apparently. Yes, really and smelly. it is. People use them in the cabins, and it was just a great scent. It is illegal to pick them, but nobody gets arrested for it because it is a protected species. Okay. But there's a lot of them around. But the one thing that has disappeared and I haven't seen in years, was the wild tiger lily. A nice bright red wild tiger lily oh, that would wow. be along the roadways and stuff. And they seem to have totally disappeared. Yeah, we occasionally up by Shoepack, we'll see a couple of those. Oh, good. I'm glad yeah. to hear and that. usually just sentinels out yep. in the field just by yeah. themselves. Just All like by one. themselves, yeah. The last yeah. one I saw was in our backfield in the back part of the property. I haven't mm. seen one since, yep. but we used to... Uh, so, uh, is there any way we could get some Arbutus? Well, not now. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean right now. I mean like during the spring. Oh, yeah. Uh, reason being, we've got a, uh, a really neat uh, heritage garden mm -hmm. in the museum. Mm -hmm. And some of the ladies had, had gotten uh, plants from some of the old lodges and cabins mm -hmm. and transplanted them to the, our, our little garden. and. I've only seen Arbutus once. It was at some guy's driveway off a of shoe pack. Yeah. When the snow goes, mm -hmm. uh, come Can up I... to the house and we'll dig you up some and you take and put them back. Oh, I Another thing that. that you might want of his lilies of the valley. They give out a very yeah. beautiful aroma. And we got a spot of them that are just growing wild. Yeah, so. we've got those You're right by our... Okay, then you got them. The All right. Those, yes. Arbutus. <laughs> I'm going to make a note of that. Okay. Because I, I had a thought in my mind, I'd like to get the... Michigan gardeners, you know, Michigan, what are they? Master gardeners. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. I'd like to get them excited about getting some more Arbutus around because mm -hmm. I keep reading about this wonderful scent in the spring, a beautiful smell. And, and there's many different Arbutus. They got some deep purple, you got some light pink, and. and okay. And, and, or mostly white, mostly? Mostly. Okay. Uh, somebody else that you want to contact will be Eric Batway. He and his wife, Sherry, she was the daughter of Mike Whelan. What else? Eric, what's his name? Ba Eric Batway. How do you spell that? B-A-T-W-A-Y. I got his phone number at home. But okay. The reason I say that is that on the property that Mike Whelan bought, which was 30 acres before the big fire went through, okay. 
it was just covered with these uh, wild uh, lilies, not lilies. Uh, tiger lily? No. Lady slippers? Lady slippers. Oh. White and pink. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they started to come back. And that might be mm. something you... They're very hard to transplant, but you might want to talk to them about getting a possibility of some okay. of them because they're looking after that property because Mike has Alzheimer's so bad he has no concept and Beth died a couple of years ago of oh, lung cancer. He, he can't. He, he was a good guy. I met him back yeah. then when we did the guy. She is used to doing large meals and stuff like that. Okay. 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 And I would be glad to assist her in that. Okay, I thought that would be the most fun thing for uh, trout fishing. Now, you, now you can do that in the morning or you can make it a meal at night because that was not just served in the morning on the river. That was served during the day or the, at the night. breakfast kind of a thing? Yeah. Well, just With a streamside meal. Yeah. Yeah. Eggs and... Eggs. Eggs uh, with ham in them, flapjacks, bacon... The old-fashioned way is not cholesterol-friendly. No, no, I will no, tell no, you no. that right now, because the old-fashioned way, you cooked it in bacon grease and all that good stuff. And you left so. the bacon grease, right? You cooked the bacon first, yep. and everything went yep. in the bacon yep. grease. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Same thing when I was... My, one of my jobs when we were at Twin Pine was for me to meet them at the guide's rest or ghoul's hole or wherever, and they wanted to have the meal when we'd have seven boats out. And I was to meet him there, and we get the meal prepared. And that, my job was to help set everything up and get it started. We had a butcher shop in town called the Black and White Store. And we, at that time, they would cut their steaks from hanging beef, which you, mm -hmm. it's very hard to get that anymore. And they would take them up on the T-bone. There was a piece that would stick down. We call it the tail of the T-bone. And it had a lot of fat and stuff on that. And we would cut that off and we'd put it in this huge frying pan. And I'd render that down. And we cooked our potatoes in mm. that grease along mm. the river. So we would have mm. porterhouse steaks, river fries, beans. And then to top that off, another real friendly cholesterol substance is homemade cream puffs mm. with real cream. Oh. You know what? You know it might be fun. This summer, we, last year we experimented doing a couple of just one-off ad hoc Saturday mm -hmm. afternoon show mm -hmm. up and have some fun type of thing. We, would something like that be in in play? Sure. Uh, the question that. is, do you want it there, or do you want it where the history and stuff is, and a place to cook there, so that you can have more. I don't you know, know what's your goal. That's it's, it's for way. you to think about. I don't okay. know how many people we could get down by the river. Of course, you say you had seven boats. That oh yeah, we would. Out. The average going out of Twin Pine was seven boats every time Jeez. we would do that. Now, when you were responsible for doing that, how how old were you at that time? Were you still a young? I boat? was yeah, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Okay. okay. So I, I, I I drove when I wasn't legally to drive to get yeah. to those places. Well, sure. It's all dads, uncles, brothers, relations in those seven boats. Oh yeah, we would have kind of a family. Yeah, a, a my, family fleet. Yeah, some the, our main guides at at Twin Pine was Madsen, Mikesell. Trudeau's, uh, Earl Matthews. You said after Madsen, uh, Mike? Mike so? 
How do you spell that? That's a good question. I'm terrible on spelling. M-I-K? C, that's M-I-C. Um, okay. They own where I think they're the ones... No, that would have been Madsen, where Josh Nethers lives now. Madsen has Nethers place, I think. Yeah, uh, I don't remember where Mike'sel was. Tony Trudeau was out on Lake Margaret. Yeah. He was the one that had disformed fingers in here. They did grow. They just both to that length, and they went right to a point. That's what mm -hmm. I remember him. Earl mm -hmm. Matheson was my cousin. Um, yeah, Jack Pettyjohn. Bernie Fowler, of course, from there, and my dad. And they would put seven boats out. And the fishing was, this is, this is going back into the history aspect of it, but the fishing in the early 50s was so bad on the Asabo River. The fishing was great, the catching was terrible. Okay. Mm -hmm. There was hardly any trout in this stretch of river. And uh, they... Russ Bingle, I don't know if you remember that name. He was the one of the owners of Twin Pine. Russ, what was the name again? Bingle. Bingle, yes. Yeah, it's like oh. the Bengal Tiger. He was on the Department of Conservation Commission. Dory Curry, who was the manager of Region 3 for the department, which was the whole UP, <clears throat> and he would always come to Twin Pine. Um, there was another fellow at Twin Pines. Yeah, I met his daughter, and she talked about she she talked about you and and uh, Ice Iceman Isman Isman. There's there was um Isman, I think could be, but I think he worked for one of the owners. The uh, Russ Bingle was the president. They call them CEOs now of Yardman and General mm -hmm. Products in Jackson, Michigan. Okay. Who, okay. who was the, they were the main owners of, uh, of Twin, Twin Pine. Harless was the last representative that used to be the manager of, of that place. And we were told not to remember who came there. <laughs> was that right? You yeah, I was, I was, we, we had a guest register and yeah. when Russ came back there one time, he said, no, you got to get rid of that, and, which was, I thought was, as a child, was very strange. But since I was nine years old, I was taught to forget people's names and I've, that stuck with me all my life. <laughs> okay. So uh, I might see you two on the street in a week from now and I cannot remember your names. We won't take it personally. And it's I was, right. and here I am, an educator, and I got yeah. all these students, and I got to try to learn their names, and it would take me six weeks to get them all. Oh, we We'd have Christmas vacation. I had to start over. Oh, we did. That's how bad it was because they said you will forget, you will destroy that ledger, and we couldn't understand why until the IRS closed Twin Pine down. The IRS closed it down? Yeah. So they were doing something. They were doing something. So, and Harless was the last one that was there involved with that. And so when they closed Twin Pine down, they tried to sell it, and they couldn't sell it right away because they didn't have any river frontage. And all these years, they thought they had river frontage, <laughs> while with some across the river there owned the riverfront of Twin Pine. They did not know that. The closest Twin Pine came to it was about a foot. 
and and Whippoorwill owned all of that. So they had to get some designation from the Whippoorwill Club before they could sell that. And they sold all that 40 acres and everything for $30,000. That didn't have frontage. That didn't have frontage at the time. But they got frontage by working with Whippoorwill Club. They got it from, okay. Now, the story on Whippoorwill Club was my grandfather, who owned Edgewater, built the fireplace in the Whippoorwill Club house, mm-hmm. who was owned by an individual from California by the name of Lacey Williams. Oh. And that's how my dad got his name, because my grandfather and Lacey Williams were such good friends that when my dad was born, they named him Lacey. There's a legacy. So, and your grandfather was, was not Lacey. No, my grandfather was John. John, okay. okay. He was one of the sons of Peter that okay. came up in here. So that's how that was tied into that, was that's that awesome. fireplace there. If you'll notice along the river, they're very hard to see now. There's one just upstream from here. Ponds were dug. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, and they raised trout in there. They raised 250,000 brook trout every year in these ponds. The guides did that. And it was new to me. The guides would donate part of their salary to hire, and I think I got a pit, maybe have a picture in here of the one working on that. But they would turn loose every fall after the fishing season was over 250,000 brook trout into the river. And that's what those ponds, Pawnee up here, where their boathouse is, there's two or three of those old pond remains back in there, and there's a long one there. And I can remember as a child, my dad still catching a brook trout out of that pond up here. There's still one one or two right upstream here, aren't there? Yes. And they were all tied into that, and they hired somebody to look that over. Did they take water out of the Osable into those? No, these were all spring-fed up here. Okay. This okay. this one right up here, the on spring the, comes out of a cement spring house on the north side. On the north side, that's okay. where Henry was, yeah. and that spring and is house he, is he above T- Stefan Bridge? Yes, yeah, just above. Just above, right across from uh, Edgewater. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and those were small ponds. That's yeah. where uh, somebody, I guess Bernie Fowler, told me that they had ponds up in there mm-hmm. and raised the trout, and mm-hmm. the guides would uh, pay mm-hmm. to raise them, and then they would release them. Mm-hmm. And Every year. But, but that didn't even help. The fishing was lousy in the 50s. They weren't doing it in the 50s. No, that was that stopped Years. back in the 20s and okay. stuff like that. But uh, So that was back in the 20s. Yeah, but getting back to that other story, then the, and I don't remember his name, owned Barbless Hook. Oh, Griffith. Griffith. Yep. And some other people got together, I believe, at the Barbless Hook. Mm-hmm. And this is where all these regulations came from. That's there was that they, meeting there. That's where they started TU. Yeah, and they did got these fly fishing only regulations started, and the trout fishing. By the end of the fifties, my dad commented about the trout fishing now is as good as it was in the thirties. It had improved that much because of that okay. set of regulations. By the end. Of, of the, the 50s. 50s. He said the trout fishing was back up to what it was in the 30s. It's, mm. it's pretty incredible because it, that was a real wrestling match, apparently. To get oh, that. yeah, it was. Uh, a lot of people had a lot of resentment um, because they were used to being able to go there and 
you know, f with worms and minnows. And I, you know, one of my f closest friends is very good at fishing with minnows, and he could catch, you know, big trout all the time in this river using minnows. And if you're good at it, you can do it. But yeah, you can clean them out in a hurry. Yeah. So that was one of those history this things. Is, this is a page from Art Newman, who was one of the directors and founders of Trout Unlimited. Mm -hmm. And that's a list of the people that were invited to the first meeting okay. at George Griffith's house, and people that came. Mm -hmm. There's one guy that walked Fred out. Fred mm -hmm. Yep, one guy walked out because it wasn't going to be fly fishing only. Yeah. Fred Bear's trout. favorite spot was just above Smith Bridge. He would be, I can still see him yeah, Smith. Okay. standing there, leaning against the tree, as we were drifting by, <laughs> waiting for the hatch to happen. Mm -hmm. I can still see him there. Bob Smock Sr. told me that, uh, mm -hmm. Fred Beer told him, he said, don't tell anybody this, but I'd rather trout fish than, sh than hunt with a bow. Mm -hmm. Earl Madsen, that's the Madsen. Yeah, Madsen. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have trout fish than hunt with a bow. Yep. I didn't tell anybody that until after Bob Smock died. Mm -hmm. <laughs> The events, weren't they? I mean, oh, yeah. Down and, <laughs> David yeah. shot me gun. This was down close to Camp Chicago. And they would, you know, like I said, back then, you didn't go back and forth. If you were guiding somebody, you were there for a week at a time. He's, and you'd camp? And you camped, yes. They, in fact, back then, they would take and pull, push the boat up like that, mm -hmm. all the way from Stefan Bridge to the train station in town, pick the passengers and their luggage up and float back down and stop at breakfast, what we call breakfast point, breakfast and have point. breakfast there. We've got a great picture of, I think, one of the Stefans who's got a sport in the front. And there's a huge pile of duffel in the riverboat. And he's sitting there with lanterns and, and bags and mm -hmm. baskets. And, and yeah. he's sitting there and he's got a shotgun over his, his leg. Yeah. Maybe you've seen that picture. Yeah. It's a, it's a great picture. Yeah. I even got it in my, uh, in my fly tying room. Yeah. It's a great picture. And it, and it, it, it was done in, the, in like 1918 or 1920, something like that. Mm -hmm. And you know, you, can, you know that, yeah, that's, no, that's not the point. That's another no. one. And it washed part of this road out and it washed the front of and this is that fireplace. At, oh there you go. At uh Wawasong. That's fire, the chimney. The fireplace that began in him. Yeah. That's the one that uh, your relative did? My dad did. Your dad did that. Yes. Lacey Williams, so yeah, you can make copies of any of these you want yeah. because I don't have uh, anything. This one's nineteen oh nine. This I have this booklet. Okay. There's very few copies of that anymore, but uh, they did that because Russ Bingle was on the Resource Commission, and they did that with my dad. And this is all before the hunting, the fishing season started, and so here they are fishing illegally, and this is the one of the. Oh, okay. <laughs> so did did um did that draw any extra customers or new phone calls? He wasn't really concerned about that because we were down at Twin Pine. Pretty busy anyway. Mort Neff wanted him to take him down river where they have the place downstream yeah. from Mort here. It's up on the there. bank up there where the one creek comes out. Um, 
he wanted my dad to take him down river free for all the publicity and my dad said no this is my livelihood because he did not have a full quote time job until he was 60 working for the state park system so um, no he didn't do it and so therefore dad didn't do that Trip now, with tell him. me, what did a what did a trip go for in the uh, <laughs> in the forties, fifties? Uh, I remember a story from Jay Stefan about it. Before that, it was five dollars a day. Five dollars a day. Yeah, and you were there for a week at a time. I want to. I got a few other stories I can tell you about the history down there at Red Dog Club and stuff. But okay, sure. And then it went up to when I was asked to do it back when I was about 14, it was $15 a day. And then when I stopped guiding, retired, it was $90 a day. I understand it's more than that now, considerably. When you was your last years of of guiding? Oh, probably about 95, somewhere in the vicinity. Yeah. I used to guy. I don't know if you heard about Bud, this guy by the name of Bud Phelps on the South Branch. Oh yes. I was one of his guides. Okay. Now who else did Jay? Him? Jay did him. Dave West. He owned a market in Bloomfield Hills. Just yes. Just a few miles from where we were. And, and he, I don't know, is that still up yeah, there? Long Lake Market. Okay. Is his wife or is his daughter his own that? Daughter now? owns it. When we did the guide thing, and I, I actually got. Who gave it to me? I yeah. guess it was Cheryl gave me Bud Phelps uh, charcoal huh. burner. Okay. And I gave it to uh, Riley, that kid that uh, was redoing riverboats. Okay. Because it was just going to be up in our attic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, Cheryl, is it okay if I. He said, shit, oh, good, because it, it shouldn't just sit somewhere. And, it should be used. And the sad part of it is he died of Alzheimer's. Yeah. And he was so bad he didn't recognize Jay, who was his oh, favorite guy. Um he would brag about 57 different varieties of mustard in his store. Oh, is that right? And oh, he God. would, every spring, he would have okay. all of his guides and the other people that he was associating with come to his place he, there he and had, have a cookout. He had a steak, steak dinner, wasn't it? Yeah, and the shrimp were bigger than our thumb, mm-hmm. and some people would just sit right by them. Where the, was his place? When you're going towards uh, Smith Bridge, from Grayling. Just before you get to that, there's a road that goes off on the right that goes up like this, and that's where it was back in so there. So he was on this now South Branch? Yes. Okay. He had a huge septic tank system put in hmm. in front of his place, and he would buy 20, 250 brook trout. And put them in there and raise them all summer long and then turn them loose when he stopped fishing in the fall. But he says, there's something strange about these. What are they? And I looked at them and said, they're Canadian brook trout, those big Canadian ones. And he would get get them instead of the regular (laughs) brook trout. And he would raise them in that that septic tank. We caught a crayfish, one of the few that we still saw in the South Branch. And I said... Open that up and watch this. And he said, what are you talking about? And he opened that up and I threw that crayfish in there and that thing just boiled. Well. <laughs> For all them brook trout. Yeah. 
Does she still own the cabin? Um, if, the cabin, I don't know. Okay, if you I should be... I didn't even know where the cabin was. Okay. Um, because as far as, got, as far as Jay, I think Jay got it in for like 20, 35 years. Yes. And Every opening day. Yes. On and, Phelps. Yeah. And I didn't realize you guys were in on... Him, yeah, him I too. guided him there The one of the last times. The river was so high we were guiding on the south branch and he wanted to go from Chase down to Smith Bridge and I had every piece of anchor that he had on his boat because he always had to use his boat not our boats yeah. Yeah. every piece of anchor out and that wouldn't even slow it down you couldn't slow it down couldn't slow it down oh it was terrible it was horrendous fishing yeah and I hurt my shoulder so bad trying to do that I couldn't do anything for several Ooh. several days and that was one of the reasons why I finally quit because I hurt my shoulders so bad that it's it's bothered me all my life. That's tough. But uh, no, he he was a good guy though. He was a good guy as long as he wasn't angry with you. If he got angry with you, you were useless. Oh really? Oh yeah. But that's you know a lot of us are like that. But uh, <laughs> it would be interesting to know if she still owns that cabin. Uh, I'll try to find out because that was really a, a unique experience going down there and, and doing that and being a part of that group uh, but uh, Dave Cooper who's had uh, Sand Springs up there yep, I know Dave. was part of the group oh of uh, with the Phelps with Bud because uh, his his wife would, would now would, owns it would buy from Phelps I'm sure yeah actually the guy we, we had a friend who was actually my sponsor at a country club, and mm -hmm. he married a, an executive's daughter from General Motors. Mm. And her mother would just order food from this long lake. Oh, Park, yeah. And it would be delivered. This so here's this young guy that gets married, and uh, he doesn't have any money. He's a U of M graduate. He's mm -hmm. just starting in business. And uh, his bride calls up Long Lake Market, which her mother always did, and said, well, send me this, send me this. And so he gets like $200 worth of food delivered. He's making 200 a month. You know. He's, what, what the hell is this? Yeah. Well, I says, well, I had to get food. Says, How do you get food? Well, I call the market and they tell them what I want and they deliver it. Mm -hmm. He says, not anymore, honey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've got to go, you go to a store. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. Oh, really? She had no idea. It was the way she was raised. Yeah. Well, Wally and Muriel Perkins, that guy I was telling you about that was dying of bone cancer, yeah. lived near that store. Okay, they were close, close yeah. area. It's a nice area, but yeah. uh, but that was a funny story. Yeah, <laughs> she had no idea how to buy food. Just yeah. down there at daughter still own cabin on the South Bay. Yeah, at uh, Red Dog Club, be down there for a week. They were all down there. The, all these young guides for a 4th of July weekend down there. And back then, everybody had dynamite. You could go to the hardware store and buy it and that. So they were down there and they were going to have a 4th of July celebration, all these guides. And between the guide's guest house and the lodge was the cookhouse. And between that was what we called a mud or whatever that had some of the old white pine stumps still in that. So in their infinite wisdom, they decided they were going to blow those stumps. With stumps. With okay. the dynamite. This was just in a hole. They just put the stumps in there. To no, they they were 
just rooted there. Oh, they're rooted. Okay. Rooted. The remains of that. They cut the fuses different lengths so they would go off at different times. And one would stand up and say, light your fuses, and then it'd all stick them in that stump. Well, the caretakers had just whitewashed the whole kitchen in that building. <laughs> and I see this is going. Yes. <laughs> and so they lit their, and they had a sheepdog, you know, the one that's got all the hair in front of its eyes. So they lit their fuses, got out of the way, and the dog doesn't know where the guys are, and it's sniffing, and it sniffs the first stump where it goes off. And remember, every other one is a little shorter fuse, so it goes off in sequence. So it's going from this one, getting near this one, that one's going off, going near this one, that one's going off, and it's picking up steam, and he hits the screen door and goes right through it, and he's covered with all this mud, and the whole kitchen is just covered with mud inside there. So that's one of the stories of the guides down the river there. When this road was first put in, of course, it wasn't paved, and up on the hillside here, um, the birds would, uh, kingfishers, build a nest inside, and they captured one. And they took this fuse, dynamite cap, tied it around the kingfisher, (laughs) and lit it, and turned it loose. Well, there was a fisherman in the river, John, my grandfather, owned Edgewater, and I'll tell you how that got started, how I just learned about that not long ago, was there, and he come running up, John, John, you'll never guess what happened. He said, no, what happened? He says, this kingfisher is going down the river with smoke coming out of his, <clears throat> and all of a sudden it go poof. And all John says is, those boys are at it again. (laughs) John knew what was going on. Yeah. But Edgewater got started where you lease the, and you build a place, then it returns to the owner. Okay. And that's how all of that Edgewater got started down there, was uh, leasing and then reverted back. And John Neff, John Stefan and my grandmother Cynthia, Neff owned that. He died in 25 when his son Norman drowned in the river and he was so despondent that that year he went up, he would go up to the Stavan Cemetery, if you want a more history, go up to the Stavan Cemetery and look around. And there's some nice tombstones up there with Jay and Bernie and my dad and them. But they, uh, he was so despondent, he would go up there and lay on Norman's grave. And it was in the winter in February, and he developed pneumonia and died, died from that. Now, that so, was who? That was John. That was John. Yeah, my grandfather, grandfather, the one that. And who was the one that, that died? Didn't he Norman. Die? And he choked on some steak in the river? No, no, that was. Uh, oh, that was Wakely. Wakely. Yeah, sorry. We, we were, my wife and I were down at uh, Club Thunderbird at the time when really? that happened. Oh, and she says, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be down here anymore. Because <laughs> he was, she was there and. We went back, and Dave West was hollering, help, help, and we went down there, and Found there him. he was. Oh, boy. Oh, my. But so. what happened to, uh, it was your uncle that Morville? passed away? Morville? 
No, the one that died that John was so despondent about. Oh, he drowned on the river. Drowned? Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, the one that will be in that picture with David uh, was killed uh, with a mortar round. From the guard? Yeah. Oh, the what, what they did was they would go out to Lake Margaret where the mortar range was, and they would they picked this one up, and they were using it as a hockey puck and be all over the ice on Lake Margaret playing with that. Nothing happened. So they brought it home. And Henry's barn on the south side of the river faced south, or on the north side faced south with windows like that, so they set the mortar round up in there. And Warren went back in there one day and picked it up and dropped it and went off. And Al Stefan, who was another cousin that owned Stefan Wood Products in town at the time, Several years later, found the remains of his skeletal fingers up in the rafters up there. Oh, boy. And they were trying to take him back. Grandma Neff was a, kind of a nurse type. And piled everything back in his insides and taking him to town when he finally died. But they figured that if they could have gotten there quick enough with modern medicine, he would have survived. Oh, really? What good that would have been. But yeah. So that's how my grandfather died up there. But they got a nice, if you want some nice pictures, they got Jay's tombstone up there. With Where is that? Okay, when, when you go up the hill here. Yeah, you go right? You, the first road, not the first residence road, but the first road that goes to the right, and there's another house. Back west. There's the road, and then there's another house here, and you go back in, and there's the Stefan Cemetery right okay. there. That, You'll I have like to wait a little while to get in there, but yeah, there's some nice tombstones. With, I'd like to go see that. <clears throat> mm -hmm. so, so I don't know what else you want. Your father was Lacey. Yep. Uh, grandfather was John. Yep. And his father was Peter. Peter. Peter, Peter W. Yep. I saw the... Uh, uh, the genealogy of the Stefan family. It's about 50 pages. It goes on and on and on. <laughs> like 3,000 people in there. There was a lot, yeah. The other thing is, according to my dad, we owned two miles, both sides of the river from here, and sold it off over time. Your and, family? And they owned where the cemetery is, and Paul and E on the other side, they wanted to put an earthen dam in there to generate electricity. Oh, boy. And thank goodness they didn't do that. Because wow. that yeah. would have backed water all the oh. way into town. Sure. It would have been a lake. Mm -hmm. When did they want to do that? Oh, it was back in the early times. I can't tell you the exact yeah. time, but that's what 30s, they wanted 40s. to do. Golly. What, what, what was your... <clears throat> If you had one, did you have a favorite hatch to take people out to? Did you have a, a favorite time of year that that was especially good for you as a guide versus? Oh, I preferred after let's say June sixth because because there was more variety of uh, fishing experiences and stuff. Okay. Um, I remember my dad talking about opening day and it was so cold that the guides would freeze shut mm -hmm. on the rods because of the snow and stuff like that. And yep. I've mm -hmm. had a couple of experiences with that. One of them was with Bud Phelps that time mm -hmm. and the river was so high in that. Um, Couldn't even fish. No. He, he tried, but 
we went the next day we went down from his place to McMaster's and I didn't guide for a long time after that because I was hurting so bad but he was a real good fisherman he loved fishermen he loved fishermen and he didn't like the catch and release there was no bones about that he wanted to eat his fish he wanted to eat his fish Mm -hmm. I was guiding him one time and between just around just upstream from the Durant Castle there's a little channel that goes like that and another Bob Woodland was guiding one of the other parties and I said let your line go just keep putting the line out and there's a log jam down in there and let's see what happens and it went out there and he that fish rose off the log jam and it was about a 14 inch brown and he's holding it up look what I got and I said don't put in the light while it went <laughs> he was gonna eat it. Yep. Yeah, he was gonna eat it, but uh, well, was it legal? It was not legal. Well, let's it? catch and release well, in that catch area. And release it then. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm thinking, uh, if if we get stopped, because yeah. my dad and I, when that first happened there, we would camp out below the high banks, which is where the cutoff is, and the upper cutoff is where it was supposed to be, but they moved it to the lower cut high banks anyway that's another story (laughs) and Russ Clarence Roberts was a CO Hmm. my dad and I were going downstream there we were going to do that and we got to that high bank and I got to hear oh stop stop I want to check he came running down got down to the bank and he looked at my dad and me and he says why didn't you tell me who you guys were and saved me this running up and down this, <laughs> this bank? Clarence Roberts, he was yeah. a good fisherman too, wasn't he? Oh yeah, his Did, his relative was one that ran the hatchery up at Marquette. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I know he, he had the red thing. scar blemish on his face. But. Mm. What about flies? Who, who did you get your flies from? I got it from Ralph Hanna. Ralph Hanna? Okay. Yeah. I, I just didn't have the patience to do it. I tried it a few times and one of the best flies you can get, and I don't know who can tie them anymore. Norval was the last one that I knew of that tied it, was the Marion Birch Stonefly. Hmm. It's a big stonefly. We, when I was a kid, we had so much... Yellow uh, or black? Green. Green, okay. With the wiggly legs, too. But we had, he called it the Marion Birch Stonefly. But in uh, Jim Birch, which was Marianne's son, just died this year. He was, he was the road commission gentleman, wasn't he? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, was uh, it, what was it, about, about like a hex hook? Yeah, it was that size, about that size fly. Green, dark green guy. Dark green by with some wig, wiggly legs. And, uh, okay. and he would tie that and he would use that. And it only works a couple of times a year. But we used to have such a hatch of stoneflies on this river that it was just like a hex hatch at night with the stoneflies going. And when I was a kid, I could not wait across that water bare feet because there was so much stonefly larva on the stones that it would cut your feet. Now you can hardly find one. That's wild. And that's because, don't get me wrong on this, but that's because we cleaned the river yeah, too we much. Cleaned it up. There's not enough nutrients to support the aquatic life we used to have because they used to let their septic systems and stuff run into the river and uh, put that well, there. The septic system and get grayling dumping in too with that. Oh yeah, had that. <clears throat> and I can still remember the gray water flowing out of the edge water and mm, Club Thunderbird and 
and all those places. But uh, yeah, Edgewater was a place where they would lease. They leased the, the land, built the cabin, then they, they it reverted it, back. It revert. Yeah, and as I remember talking to uh, Ernie Fowler, mm -hmm. they they didn't have kitchens in these cabins. Nope, you ate at the main house. Yep, the main dining hall. Yep, that was my mother's job, <clears throat> and she was the cook. Yep, she, Grandma yeah. Neff was the cook. My mother yeah. was the cleaning lady and the waitress and stuff like that. Yep, yep. She would. My dad would guide. And my mother would pick him up at four o'clock in the morning at Down River there of McMaster's at uh, Connor's Flats. And they would have the cars and the trailers all lined up there waiting for everybody to get out. She would sleep in the car, pick him up at four o'clock in the morning and have to be back to work at six o'clock during the serve breakfast and stuff here. So it was a tough life for them. It is a tough life. Well, that puts a wrap on today's edition of the Backcast Podcast. Uh, pretty poignant conversation with Lacey, and uh, it, very enjoyable, very enlightening. Hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, give us a good review on Apple iTunes or uh, Google Play. Uh, subscribe, and uh, you'll have the podcasts all ready for you when they come down. So, um, there you have it. That's this week's episode. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Until then, mind your backcast. <laughs>